Hello, friends. This is your friend, Kent C. Dodds, and I'm joined by my friend, Jen Creighton. Say hi, Jen. Hi. So Jen is a wonderful person. We were just reminiscing over how we uh, got acquainted, and it was last year for React Rally 2018. I was preparing to speak about uh, React patterns, and um, I wanted to talk about the props explosion that happens when you have this quote-unquote reusable component. And... Um, I think I, I asked like what's the what's one component that you know that has like the most amount of props you've ever seen? And it was I, I found one that was like over a hundred props, it was nuts. Um but Jen responded with the best tweet ever that I actually included in my talk that was you said, I call that an a prop clipse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was so good. Yeah. I loved that. That was so great. So that was my first introduction to the wonderfulness that is Jen. Uh Jen, you do a lot more than just tweet really great puns on Twitter. Um, could you give us a little intro to yourself, please? I mean, that really was my best pun. So I don't tweet that many puns. I try. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I am a front-end architect at a company called The Wing. Uh, we build uh, women-first co-working spaces. And I joined mm. about four months ago, so I'm taking on a new role in front-end architecture. And before that, I was working as a senior front-end engineer at ClassPass. Mm, and I do a lot of talks. A lot of traveling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's my hobby. So it's a hobby not specifically for work? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, mm. work appreciates that I do it. It's definitely a plus for them. Um, but it's not part of my job. I just really enjoy public speaking and teaching. Wonderful. And I'm looking forward to React Conf where I'll get to experience that firsthand seeing uh, you give that give a talk there. I'm not going to spoil it for people, but I am super excited about the talk that you're going to be giving. I, I believe we should hopefully have this uh, published before that time so people can get ready for uh, that great talk. Not not too. Uh, um, I, I hope I'm not like overselling it and making you feel uncomfortable, <laughs> but um, I heard the, the topic and it sounds great. Um, so great, Jen. Um, so you have, how long have you been using React? I would say about four or five years now, I think five. Yeah, wow, that's a long time. Like that's definitely um, more than ha like way more than half the people. Uh, the Okay, if we take all of React's community, all the people using React, uh, you've been using it for longer than way more than half the community, I'm sure. Um, so you've been around for, you know, since pre, you know, major version days, like 0.14, probably 0.13, right? Yeah, 0.13. Um, that's yeah. around when we started to use it um, at a company that I was actually the person begging us to please um, <laughs> use it because we were using Angular 1. Um, oh. And that was my big impetus. <laughs> yeah, I um I can relate to the desire to switch from Angular 1. <laughs> um as great as it was, like don't get me wrong, I I liked Angular 1 better than Backbone for goodness sake, but um but yeah, uh, I was pretty happy to move on to React myself. So, um 5 years of React, I'm sure you've ha experienced a lot of things. One one thing that I I have come to realize the longer that I've been working in software is that the longer you work in it, uh, you develop more experience, which like seems obvious, but that that's you you are exposed to more problems, and therefore you gain more experience. Uh, and so, like your experiences of five work years working with uh, React have probably taught you a lot. Um, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in the process of 
um, building React applications, architecting applications, um, and like some of the mistakes that you've made, what what would you say are some of your the the biggest lessons that you've learned in using React for that time? In the early days, when I was just starting out with React, truthfully, I had I had no clue what I was doing. Um, Angular one was very different. And before that, I had worked with a proprietary framework at another startup that, you know, wasn't from a big name. Coming to React was really like a lovely feeling, actually, because it really aligned with how I was thinking about components in this declarative sort of state. And the talk I, I'm going to give at ReactConf actually really dives into this, like where that comes from in my background with creative writing and why that melds so well with React. And I think some of my earliest mistakes were not leaning into that, um, not thinking about the structure of the components as declaratively and really still focusing on, well, what do I need to do in this individual component? Um, and then not being able to see like the forest for the trees, like you're just in the trees and you have no clue and you're adding in props you're like i need this one too and this one and mm. once you get out of the component and start to use it you're like oh this is not good mm. <laughs> this does yeah. not feel good um that that was like some of the early early mistakes as well as really over focusing on reuse that was mm. another like huge huge pitfall early on just thinking like i need to make every single part of this super reusable just in case who knows and i mean you and i have seen what that leads to it's the apocalypse never gonna let that <laughs> pun die um yeah <laughs> but that, that that's how it like starts basically if someone's like this has to be as reusable as possible just add add more props to it and we can reuse it isn't that great mm -hmm. um no that's that ends up being you know, usually complicated, like nest of code that you have to unravel at some point. Yeah, precisely. Like, um, I, I think we get so excited, especially moving from um, a situation where our code wasn't very reusable to a situation where our code can be super reusable. We get really excited about the the possibilities. And, and as programmers, uh, I think we just naturally have this idea that like, oh man, like I can, I can do all kinds of this magic stuff and we've got this abstraction that like, you know, it's a black box and I can do all kinds of nutso stuff in here. And then, but, uh, you, you wind up, it's, it's funny, like in, in our efforts to make things really reusable and simple, we actually make things, um, harder uh, from not only the maintain maintenance standpoint where we're like, no, I'm fine maintaining something hard as long as it makes it easy for everybody else. But it not only makes it harder for ourselves, but it also makes it harder for everybody else. So how do you avoid that kind of a problem? Like, what, what do you do to make sure that, um, you know, to solve both problems? Like, I mean, it, I, I'm okay with a little bit of complexity that I have to maintain as long as it's easier for everybody else. But like, is there a way that I can make it easy for everybody else and easy for me as a maintainer? Yeah. And so this question of how do I make it easy for somebody else is where a lot of the work that I do when I'm starting to build out a component like really comes into play. So some of the early stuff that I do early, like very early in the process when I'm like, okay, I'm breaking down a page. And as you said, like we are very much trained as engineers to look for the reusable stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And so very early on, we're already looking at design and we're like, look, this thing is reused. So I can make this into a reusable component. Mm-hmm. And that's fine in like small cases. Right. But occasionally, like you don't realize that you're about to make a reusable component that's handling, you know, three to five plus states. And that starts to get really unwieldy. And no one's going to use that um, mm. in the end because they're going to have to supply so many props to it it becomes actually not easy to use. Um, So one of the things I do uh, at the beginning stage is I actually write down the API for the component. And this is ensuring Hmm. like from the outside when you start using the component that you're actually thinking about the end user, which is you as an engineer and your fellow engineers. And some of the points of it are like, you know, how how much insight do I want to give them to how this component works internally? Maybe I want them to know, maybe I don't. And that's a big consideration. Mm-hmm. How easy do I want the API to be? How many props, you know, can I limit the number of props so that they're not frustrated with this? Can I make these really clear? That's some of the like really early stuff. And and making a configuration object like prop, a prop that is just a configuration is just more props. Like you're not, yeah. you're not lying to anybody. <laughs> that does not solve the problem. No, <laughs> you know, doesn't. one prop, that's an object of configuration. That's just a bunch of props. Right. No, I've started to like do this thing at work where I was like, if I see a uh, prop types dot object somewhere, I'm going to ask you to flatten it out. And we're going to see how many props this actually adds. Cause you mm. can't like, that's an anti pattern to me. Like you can't do that. Um, mm. It really is just like, you're just lengthening out this prop list. Um, and I think people just think, oh, but this is how React is supposed to be. We are supposed to get reusable components out of it. It's meant to accept props. Like, why would we, you know, need to think about these things? And my response is like, well, your whole app is essentially like one component that you're feeding in all the props you could ever want. Do you just mm. want to create one component that could be your entire application? That That's the reason why we break it out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, I, I've got a blog post about that where you know you could build your entire app as a s- single component, but there are good reasons to, to break it up. And, and you know what? Code duplication is not a bad thing no. by itself. It's not. It's, it's totally acceptable. And it, sometimes it makes things simpler. It does. Sometimes... Um, it's fine to duplicate a component, add a change to it and rename it, you know, this thing with whatever. Um, I do that a lot. Um, So, you know, we have event listings on our site right now. Um, Sometimes the event is gonna be waitlisted. And so, you know, it changes it, how it looks a little bit. I'd rather just create a waitlisted event component and pull up the logic to decide if it's waitlisted or not somewhere else. I don't want to keep it encapsulated in the event component. Like that's not its job. Mm. Yeah. So that's uh, an interesting point to bring up. So um, I, there seem to be two schools of thoughts, uh, two schools of thought uh, around this idea where you have some people who say, Let's break out these components, break them down into their smallest pieces. Mm-hmm. Like any component that's longer than three or four lines is probably like an anti-pattern or something. And then you have other people on the other side of the spectrum who just make these giant render methods um, uh, of like all of this JSX in there. And, and it's managing a bunch of state and has several concerns all lumped into one big component. Um, where do you 
um, see yourself from, based on your experience, what has worked the best for you? And can you elaborate a little bit on, on how that's worked for you? I think for me, mostly it's, it's been separation of concerns. So I don't lean so much on the, the size of the component. What I'm more concerned about is what, did it, what does this component need to know? What do other components need to know about this one? Um, does my whole application need to, is going to be affected by something that's done in this component? So thinking mm. about those sorts of rules and then starting to break it down. Um, and obviously, I think one of the big, big early mistakes that I made was putting a lot of business logic in my components. And so I'm just a proponent of the more you lift that up and out, the, you know, your components become way cleaner. Um, mm. So that's a, that's a big deal for me. But I don't lean, I would guess, heavily on the like, if it's, a, you know, everything should be a certain size. And I mm -hmm. definitely do not go towards the rat nest, like everything in there um, components. I tend to be like a hybrid approach as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's more, it's not like a quantitative figure that you can put an ESLint rule on this and say, if this, then it's bad. Um, but you may uh, make it more intentional, I guess. Yeah, it's similar to how I feel about dry and reuse. Mm. I mean, I think that dry is when you go hard at that rule, you probably end up making poor choices. And also mm. when you leave yeah. it out completely, you probably end up making poor choices. It's really about over time getting experiences with the trade-offs of what's going to happen if you duplicate something or not. Like, yes, it's annoying if I need to change the events component and the waitlisted events component that they both need that change now. But it's, it's two changes. It's not 20. In that case, you might want to start thinking of an extra layer of abstraction on top that's going to prevent that. Mm -hmm. But it all, all comes down to being intentional yeah. uh, about the design of, of your components. Yeah, that's very good. So um, when, when we're being intentional about design, uh, we have to know what our intent is. Um, and that, I think, is that something that just comes from experience or is there, and therefore you just have to use it for five years before you gain that intuition? Or are there things that people can do uh, you, you mentioned documenting the component first, which yep. I think is a, a great practice. Are, are there other things that people can do to kind of accelerate um, or, or increase the impact of the time and experience that they have so that they can um, avoid some of these pitfalls and, and be more intentional about building their components and abstractions? There are a few things I've done to really ramp up more quickly on this. Um, one is becoming like having a method for breaking down components, which includes now I remove a lot of the content in the components so I can see them without the content because the content can be really distracting sometimes mm. when you're trying to figure out separation of concerns for things. Um, the other thing and I do... By content, you mean like the JSX that you're rendering? Is that what you mean? Like if I'm looking at um, like a list of events, um, I'll actually like remove the text from inside of each event mm. so that I can sort of see a little bit more about like, well, okay, taking all the content out, taking all the text out, what is this component actually concerned about and what does it actually need to do? And that really it. narrows okay. it down when I'm building out the component API. Um, that That's helped tremendously, like getting better at this. 
And the other thing I do is I read a lot of code from open source uh, libraries. So that's how I usually start to work with new patterns. Like the render props pattern, I actually learned from Downshift, like reading through Downshift. Um, cool. So I, I do a lot of looking at, you know, we pull in a lot of third-party React libraries, uh, date pickers and selects and tooltips and things. And it's really beneficial to find, you know, two or three of them and look through their source code and figure out what they did differently from each other and figure out the trade-offs of those things, the pros and the cons. And that really helps you see like, why you would want to maybe introduce a pattern into your own code base or why you might want to stay away from it in certain cases, um, those types of things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like looking at other people's code, uh, especially um, if what you're trying to do is build an abstraction that works, looking at other abstractions that have been proven to work and see how they uh, went about doing that and the patterns that they implemented and, and how those patterns were implemented. That makes a lot of sense. I, I myself have learned just a, a huge amount from um, open source libraries and, and also contributing to open source libraries mm -hmm. because then you get these pros, um, you know, reviewing your pull requests and things and they can give you some feedback there. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And also thinking about how you would improve it. Um, mm. you know, a lot of, a lot of this was kicked off by me using third party libraries and being like, this is not feeling good. Why doesn't mm -hmm. this feel good? How could I make this <laughs> feel good? So, yeah, I remember early on in my JavaScript, um, uh, programming days, um, I had a, a friend, Merrick Christensen, who, uh, told me, Hey, if you want to get better at JavaScript, uh, take underscore, which was like, this was before Lodash was much of a thing. He said, take underscore and re-implement all the, the methods. So you just read the documentation and write those methods and uh, you'll learn a lot. I never did it, but it sounded like a good idea. <laughs> oh, I definitely remember looking at some of the source code for like jQuery and having it just blow my mind. Um, <laughs> like, wow. And now I, I do actually the same thing with the React source code. Um, I love going into the React source code and finding out, you know, what is so different about building out the framework than it is like using it. Um, so it's, you know, tremendously interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, I, I think uh, at some point you have to have that revelation that um, the dependencies that you're using are written in the same language that you're uh, using those dependencies with, right? So. Yeah. Like it's all JavaScript, maybe for Reactor, they're using Flow. And so you've got type definitions in there too, but it's pretty much like very familiar, even if you're not used to Flow. Um, and uh, and so taking a little bit of time to dive in a little um, and understand, well, maybe not understand right away, but Definitely um, not. like- <laughs> Absolutely no understanding right away. Yeah. <laughs> But like stepping through with a debugger or something so you can follow the code path, that's like huge amount of, of uh, benefit there. Yeah, it really is. And uh, you know what? I think it's fun. <laughs> that's how I enjoy spending <laughs> my evening is by the glow of my computer, like debugging through <laughs> React source code. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if like if you need something warm on your legs on your laptop, you just spin up some crazy process, <laughs> process some video. And now you're like snuggling with your laptop. It's great. Oh, I never <laughs> feel like my laptop is not a million degrees. So <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Tim Cook, for these <laughs> beautiful machines. Um, yeah. So 
um, as, as far as React component architecture is concerned, how do you like what are some of the things that you found to be so so we've talked about like reusable components and maybe not always re reuse things but when we're talking about like large scale react applications what are some things that you've found to be successful when architecting a, a full application so do you mean like in terms Just of like uh, you, you can talk about maybe file structure or like component structure. Where, where do you store your state um, and how do you keep things in sync and, and that kind of thing? I mean, I'm I'm dealing with all of these questions right now at work. So moving into this role of being a front end architect and not just a I don't, I don't want to say just actually and not a senior, you know, front end engineer contributing to one part of the code base. Now I oversee the code base. Mm. I have been, you know, sort of falling in love with this while also realizing that I'm unta untangling like a rat's nest of things. Like I'm coming into a startup where the code base was built by, you know, third party people first, then they've hired um, a team. Um, but no one on that team is as senior as I am um, overall and also especially in React. Um, mm. so a lot of things have been implemented, um, and what I've been trying to do is actually come up with sort of a set of rules by which I'll make decisions architecture wise, not just to do mm. with components, um, but things like, you know, one of my rules is that a engineer early in their career should be able to come into our code base and get up to speed quickly. And that mm. is an overall rule that really just has to do with consistency in your code base. Because if they can't grep around in the code base, if they can't find that every example of what they might wanna do is consistent, it makes it so much harder for them moving forward. So mm. I wanna put in place these rules about, we consistently use this state management library. Like truthfully right now we have Redux, and then we're using RSAAs and thunks and rematch. Um, someone put in place, you know, all these different things. So if mm -hmm. I have a person come in now, they're they're finding multiple ways of doing things. Um, so consistency. I really want to be able to look around at how components are built and see that they're being built along sort of the same guidelines. Um, so I'm starting to hand down some rules. Um, and guidelines to my engineers about keeping business logic out of things. Where do we actually do the management of deciding what gets passed down to the components business logic wise and what changes? Um, mm -hmm. So those types of things so that someone can come in and have a good sense of like how we build things. That answers so the question. Yeah, yeah. Do, do these rules take the form of like uh, some guidelines and principles in some sort of document or do you have a strict set of, of ESLint plugins that you use, or how do you um, kind of guide the engineering so that they follow these rules properly? I'm starting to put in place some more ESLint rules. We haven't had a lot of them to date. So we definitely have just like visual inconsistencies in our code, stylistic inconsistencies. So putting those mm. in place. Um, the rest of it though is sort of where I'm able to do this because I, it, we're not a large team, but I can, you know, 
I offer to pair with people. Um, they're welcome to come pair with me at any time. Um, I review a lot of code reviews that I'm not even on or I step in um, with those things. And then I hold a, a monthly front end guild meeting um, where we talk about some of these these issues together um, about how to build things. I pass on a lot of resources. I ask them to go to conferences, workshops, got them an egghead um, course. Um, mm-hmm trying to cram knowledge into my team so yeah uh-huh. <laughs> just like flood them with resources yes. and um because yeah. in some ways like i say their rules and really their guidelines um i'm only going to put my foot down every once in a while if i don't give them as much as i want consistency if i also don't give my team freedom to play around with stuff they're not going to understand why i've asked them to do it a certain way there is mm. benefit in letting people see that something doesn't work and then revise it later. And I personally mm. do not see revision or refactoring as a failure. I think a lot of people do, but I don't. I, I love that. Can you dig into that a little bit more, Jen? Like, why is revision and refactoring not a failure? I, I, I've had many times in my career where I've, let's let's try this abstraction, and it just is a terrible experience for everyone, <laughs> and, and uh, it's, it takes me a week to backtrack off of that. So why do you see that as not a failure? I think it's part of the natural course of our jobs. And if you're not doing it, what value are you getting? I mean, you're, you need to make the mistakes to learn something. And sometimes it's not even that what you wrote was a mistake. It was right maybe for the time, but things change. And so mm. you actually like need to go to revisions and refactorings. One, if you're doing this from someone else's code that they wrote, Um, come to it with the best of intentions. Remember that they wrote it uh, under circumstances that you weren't there for. Um, So I think a lot of people, they come in, they see some code. It's not great according to them. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I have to refactor this. This is bad code. And like, Mm. you don't know what that code was written under unless you're literally the one that wrote it. And then you get to say whatever you want about your old code. (laughs) Like, I curse myself (laughs) a lot. Um, but this, this is the natural form of things. Um, if you build code under tight deadlines and you're new to a framework, you're not going to be putting out your A plus right away things. Your, your first draft mm-hmm. is never the end draft. You're, you're always revising as you go along and you're learning things from those revisions. Um, so I, I very much, I really want people to see refactoring as a just a natural progression of our jobs and not a failure at all. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's wonderful. That um, well, makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, really good. Uh, so, Jen, as we're reaching toward the end of our time here, uh, is there anything else about React component architecture or application architecture that you'd like to specifically call out and, and, um, and chat about before we wrap up? Um, Mostly what we've talked about, you know, try writing down the component architecture before you start, like try from the outside to see what your component's going to look like before you actually start to implement it. It's really going to help you lean into that declarative nature that is React too. Hmm. It really helps with that. And then remember that you're probably going to write this thing and it may not work and it might work. And then a couple months later, you come back to it and you hate yourself for it. (laughs) <laughs> it's all fine. It's totally fine. Um, 
I, if I go back and look at the components I first wrote five years ago, I will be horrified and I will just stay in mm. my house forever and never leave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> except that I have a healthy mindset that, um, you know, I was learning, I was new. So. Yeah, exactly. That's wonderful. So, um, so there you, you have it, everybody, the, the call to action or your homework for this episode is for the next component that you write, document that component first. And and this isn't just for reusable components, um, right, Jen? Like this yeah. is something that's useful, even if it's uh, this little widget over here that's only going to be used on this page, or if you think it's going to be a reusable component, <laughs> um, definitely document it first. That I like that idea a lot. Cool. So, um, Jen, um, what's, what's the best people for, uh, or what's the best um, way for people to reach you online? Definitely Twitter. Uh, my handle is girl code, girl spelled with a U. Um, I'm pretty active on there. So you can tweet me. Excellent. And if uh, if you're ever in New York City, you've got a meetup that people can go to, right? Yes. So I'm also a co-organizer for the Use React NYC meetup. We uh, just got started earlier this year. We just had our fourth meetup and we're continuing them monthly. Might take a break around the holidays. Um, but if you happen to be in New York, please look us up. Um, we love new faces in our community. Mm -hmm. I uh, spoke two months ago, a month ago, some pretty recently, and it was a wonderful experience. So yeah, strong recommend there. Great. Well, Jen, thank you so much for giving us some of your time this afternoon or evening or morning, whenever people <laughs> end up listening to this. Um, really appreciate your time. And I hope that everybody enjoyed uh, hearing you as much as I enjoyed chatting with you. So thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all later. Bye, friends. Bye, friends.